And for everyone else, I would invite you to open a Bible if you have one, either a book copy, hard copy, or on a tablet or phone, feel free, however you would have a copy of God's Word, to open to the book of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 1. Today, uh, we are going to start a series that'll get a quick pause during the 40 days of prayer, but a series walking through the entire book of Matthew from beginning to end. And this message will also kind of serve as a bridge uh, between the series that we just finished on the church because this message today on God's blessing mission helps us to see and prepare for Matthew, but also helps us to prepare our hearts for Christmas because this section of Matthew, the first two chapters are about the birth of the king, the birth of Jesus together. And so we wanna see it in a number of different ways. Is that bridge between the church and the mission of God, uh, but also preparing our hearts for the birth of Jesus and then looking forward to what God has for us as we would walk through uh, the book of Matthew um, over the next many months together. Matthew chapter one. Verses 1 through 17. I want to read it together. Matthew 1, 1 to 17. Matthew writes, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Noshan. Noshan, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathen. Mathen, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. As I read that, you may have dozed off. 
with a bunch of names. Genealogies, these long lists of names, rarely prove interesting to anyone but the people who were directly involved. To those people, however, the list is anything but boring. Listen to one modern author describe what it was like to hear an ancient genealogy. The author writes this. There is an expression, the quote-unquote peak experience, a moment when emotionally can never again be equaled in your life. I had mine the first day in the village of Jafur in black West Africa. Goosebumps came out on me the size of marbles. With those words, Alex Haley, the author of the book, which ultimately became a movie, Roots, recalls the day he first heard from the lips of an aged storyteller the account of young Kunta Kinte being taken captive by slave traders in 1752. Haley's ancestors in Tennessee and Virginia had descended directly from a native African captured in a tiny village in Gambia. The day he listened to the gentle African elder recite, and so-and-so, took as a wife so-and-so, and begat so-and-so, the final link in Haley's family chain snapped into place. Roots tells the story of this connection. This is from my NIV student study Bible that my mom gave to me when I was in seventh grade. But I think it captures well this idea of genealogy. That the genealogy of Jesus may either seem very overwhelming, all those lists of names that hardly any of us would ever dare name our children today, or may seem completely irrelevant or boring, this random list of names to read through. But, like in Roots, a first century Jew who would have read Matthew's gospel would have found it so extremely important and exciting. They would have had likely those marbles on the skin kind of goosebump moment as Matthew ties Jesus back to David and Abraham and ultimately declares this Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. The names are written in an acrostic in the original language, an acrostic using the Hebrew form of David in 14, 14 generations in three different sections. Certainly not every person, scholars would concede, not every person in Jesus' lineage is included in this list of names, but some of the most important and some of the most significant are all to be able to focus us on the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's blessing mission. You see, God has been at work in all of human history from the day that Adam and Eve sinned, promising to bless the world, to bring salvation, to bring deliverance from the presence of and the consequences of sin through a Messiah, through a deliverer, through a Savior. 
And Jesus, the reason we light candles, the reason we celebrate his birth, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises and is the fulfillment of this blessing mission that God has been on from the very beginning. There are really simple sermon notes that are in your bulletin if you want to fill in blanks, and there'll be more on the screen for notes if you're a note taker. But we want to look this morning for a few minutes at God's blessing mission being seen first as being fulfilled by Jesus. And if I can get that to work, we might have to click it on our own there. As being fulfilled by Jesus. It'll get up there in a second. And I go back a little bit. There. We got it back one more. As fulfilled by Jesus. God's blessing mission being seen and fulfilled. We're probably going to have to be there the whole time there. Sorry about that. God's blessing mission being fulfilled by Jesus. It happens in a number of ways. The first, it is fulfilled by Jesus as in the promise to Abraham. The promise to Abraham. The first section of verses, verses two through five, for a first century Jew would have been extremely important, extremely important that Jesus was the son or the descendant of Abraham. Why? Little Old Testament history lesson as we walk through here. In Genesis chapter 12, so the next slide, in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, we're introduced to Abram, which eventually the Lord would change his name to Abraham. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12 tells us of God's promise to bless Abraham and to give him many, many, many descendants. Later on in the book of Genesis, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. From this one man, the whole nation of Israel would come into being. And when you look at verses 2 through 5, it is an entire list of names in that first section that details the foundational years of the building of God's people, all the way up to King David. In the midst of all of those names, in Abraham being promised to be blessed in order to be a blessing, God's blessing mission, Matthew doesn't cover up and make neat and tidy the story of Jesus' family and the story of his building of a nation, his building of a people. We'll detail it a little bit more later, but he names people like Judah and Tamar, of Rahab the prostitute, of Ruth the Moabitess who was redeemed by the honorable Boaz, not to mention David the adulterer and the murderer. An amazing and checkered line, for sure. If you think your family has issues, you're in good company. Abraham's promise was not for his blessing alone. He was blessed 
to be a blessing. I will bless you, and through you, all peoples on earth will be blessed. God's blessing mission of the world came through a promise made to Abraham. Ultimately, Matthew wants us to see fulfilled in the birth of Jesus for all nations. God's blessing mission. If we go to the next. The promise to Abraham, but there's a second promise that was made, a little history lesson to help us understand this, and this is the promise made to David. In the list of names in verses 6 through 11 is a list of a bunch of kings. As God had made a promise of blessing to Abraham, he also made a promise of blessing to David. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 11 through 14, this is what is known as the Davidic covenant or the Davidic promise. God says to David, when your days are over and you go to be with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor, which is King Saul. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. This promise made to David tells of the promise that, God, that Abraham's offspring, who we see in verse 6, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That this promise made to David would be that one of his offspring, ultimately Solomon, would build the temple for the Lord. And there would be a ruler that would sit in this kingly line that would come from David. Notice this promise is not dependent on Solomon. It's not dependent on David. It's not dependent on their faithfulness, on their obedience, or on any other king after. But it was all dependent on the faithfulness and the promise-making of God. Because as you read down the list in verses 6 through 11, you will notice if you read through all the history of the kings of Israel, there are some really good ones and there are some really, really evil ones. If it was all dependent on their faithfulness, this would have never happened. But Solomon builds the temple for God. But there is a promise that was made. And in often the promises of God, the prophecies that he makes there are fulfillments that are in the present but are also in the future and by Matthew linking David to Jesus he's making a very bold statement he's saying this that the one who will reign forever on David's throne is not an earthly king it is the king of kings and the lord of lords it is Jesus the messiah the king who will ultimately reign forever on David's throne. In this long list, there are human kings and there's the divine king. The king in the line of David. And one day our king, just as we celebrate and we look forward to the celebration of the coming of Jesus born 2,000 years ago or so, we look forward with great anticipation and great hope certain hope that King Jesus is coming again 
And when King Jesus comes again, all that is wrong will be made right, and he will rule and reign on the throne of his ancestor, King David. That's our hope. Just as he came, he's coming again. This is why we have hope. This is why we have peace. This is why we have joy. Next week, why we know love. It's all now, but it will be the fulfillment, the fullness of it. The promise to David, Jesus is the fulfillment of it. He's also the fulfillment of God's blessing mission. The last section of names are in a time that we're not so good. We're in a dark season. God's blessing mission fulfilled by Jesus was the hope during the time of exile. The third list is this grouping that lived during a time of great darkness. A time known as the Babylonian captivity when Judah was taken off into captivity. A third were taken to live in Babylon in exile. A third died by the sword and a third died as Babylon seized it and died from famine and starvation. A dark, dark time. The northern kingdom of Israel at that point already had already been carried off and basically, in many ways, destroyed and scattered all throughout by the Assyrians a number of years before the Babylonians came. But in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this dark time, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Daniel recognizes this. He says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. When Daniel understood this, it was coming towards the end of his time. But for 70 years, the Jews living in Babylonian captivity had a hope. They had something that they were looking forward to. They had the assurance that they would be going home because God had made a promise. And God's promises were that he was going to bless and he was going to use this people. And there was a savior, a deliverer who was coming, a descendant of Abraham in the kingly line of King David, and in the midst of darkness, in the midst of hopelessness, they knew that there was one who had been promised and had yet to come. And Jesus, during those dark years, was the fulfillment, the fulfillment of God's promises and his blessing mission. But it doesn't end there. God's blessing mission, through the promise to Abraham, the promise to David, seen in the hope in exile, was also the hope of the nations. In Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, Isaiah acknowledges this and prophesies this. Here is my servant, speaking of Jesus who is yet to come when Isaiah wrote this 600 years before. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not father or be discouraged 
or not falter, excuse me, or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Who are the islands? Distant shores and the islands will see. It's the nations, the hope of the nations. Matthew, when we get to Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 21, you'll see this scripture again. Matthew linking it to Jesus and his ministry that all people, if you remember back to Abraham, I will bless you. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And all nations, all peoples will be blessed, Abraham, through you. How will they be blessed through him? Ultimately, through Jesus. That Matthew is able to write in verse 17, these were the 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer. These 17 verses at the beginning, if you've read through Matthew, you may have been tempted, as I have been many times if I've read through the book of Matthew, just to skip it over. This meaningless list of names. These people I don't know anything about, but when we understand that this genealogy is significant because it shows that Jesus is the promised fulfillment of God's promised blessing mission on this earth to overthrow the power and the effects of sin, all those names make us go, wow. We lift him high. We exalt him. It causes us to sing songs like the Waymaker with greater faith because we see God making a way all throughout history. He is faithful. And Jesus is his promised fulfillment. We could stop right there today. But I told you this is a message that connects the church series to this Christmas series and on into our study of the book of Matthew. Because it doesn't just end with Jesus as the fulfillment. Because the end of Matthew says this. Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Therefore, as you are going about your lives, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. The genealogy starts to show us Jesus, the fulfillment of God's blessing mission, but it doesn't end there because he commissions us to do this. Secondly, that God's blessing mission has been continued through the church, through us. May I encourage you as we think about this in these last few moments, to look at evangelism and to look at mission 
And to look at the church's role, our role in fulfilling this and carrying on God's blessing mission here on this earth as an opportunity for us to look around and to bless people. How do we bless the people around us? If God was looking to bless Abraham so that all nations would be blessed and that blessing came through descendants, people, how do we bless people? How do you bless people? than to be able to share the good news of Jesus. Think of it through those lenses as you continue, as we recognize this God's blessing mission being continued through the church. And here's the encouragement for all of us, is that God's blessing mission that has been continued through the church is through both men and women. It's through both men and women. Matthew, in this genealogy includes both men and women in Jesus' genealogy. Now, for us today, we'd be like, oh, cool. Men and women would not necessarily strike us as extraordinary at all. But in Jesus' day, Matthew's inclusion of women was exceptionally extraordinary. Here's why. In Jesus' day, first century Israel, women were looked at as second-class citizens at best. And at worst, they were looked at and viewed as the property of men. Jewish men regularly, many of them daily, in their prayers to God, would thank him that you did not create me a woman. That was just first century Jewish culture and culture all before that. Women as second-class citizens as best, property of the men at worst, in a world where men would pray daily, thank you, Lord, that you did not make me a woman. So imagine a first century Jew opening the scriptures, opening Matthew's account of the life of Christ and seeing women named, playing a prominent role in the birth and in the promised fulfillment of Jesus. This was huge and important for us to recognize that both men and women have a huge role to play in God's blessing mission. In the series on the church and on the gifts we talked about the fact that everyone, see if you, if you were here, if you remember, everyone what? I did a great job. Everyone, everybody, everybody? Oh, I got the wrong words. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. It's on the board out there. If you fill in your little thing of how, how I can serve at Dorseyville, if you want to look at all the different ways, there's a phrase, a phrase that we used. Everybody gets to play, men and women. When the Spirit was poured out, it was on men and women. Your young men will prophesy, your, your, young, or your young men will dream dreams, your daughters will prophesy. Everyone gets to play. And so, no matter where you find yourself on that continuum, whether you're a man or a woman, don't say, oh, you know what, I'm a woman so I don't get to play. Or I'm a man, 
So I got a greater role than ever. Everyone, everybody gets to play. And we see that in the genealogy of Jesus. So get in the game. Get about blessing people. It's continued through the church, through both men and women, through both the righteous and the unrighteous. Sometimes we think that only the really, really holy ones get to play. Now, certainly, and I want to emphasize this, so hear everything I'm going to say. Certainly, we want to live a holy, sinless, pure life before God. The less impurity we have, the less junk stands in the way of God moving and working through us. However, one look at the lives of many of the people in the lineup and it's clear that God's blessing mission in using people is more about God and his faithfulness than it is about me and my faithfulness. It's a tension we live with. We want to live pure because the spirit flows much easier through people who have less junk in their lives. But yet God still, in his sovereignty, uses people with junk in their lives. (laughs) I'll be the first one to say, if you've seen God move in any way through me, it's because God moves through people with junk in their lives who are still working their stuff out. Doesn't mean I just sit back and say, ah, I can do whatever I want. I want to pursue holiness. I want to deal viciously with my sin. I want to crucify self on a daily basis. But in the midst of it, sometimes we can say, oh, I got stuff in my life. I'm not perfect. That person's holier than I am. I'm unworthy, all these things. And we can sideline ourselves and say, God could never use me because, ugh. We'll say, God, here I am to be used by you in the midst of my, ugh, while I'm working out my, ugh. That's, I was going to say Hebrew for sin, but I, it's not. <laughs> it's Mark for sin. But you get the point. Don't let, don't let the stuff you're still working through, because you're still working through it, say, I can't do this. Because here's why. Here's my proof. Here's where I base that on. You got a messed up line of people in this passage. You have Abraham, the patriarch, the one whom God gave all these blessings. He's a liar. Two times when he was put in a tough situation, when people were like, hey, you're what? They, they see Sarah, his wife, and he was afraid that they were going to take her and kill him. He lies and says, eh, she's my sister. So all the ladies in the room, you've got to really love Abraham for that. You're going you're gonna to throw me out there while you save your skin? Here's, here's Abraham. That's his character. Lying, not once, but twice. And God blesses him. And blesses nations through him. You have Jacob. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Jacob deceives his father in coordination with his mother to steal the birthright from his brother Esau, who was older. The name for Isaac, or for Jacob, means deceiver. And so God changes all these things about him as he works out Jacob's life and names him Israel just so he doesn't live by the name forever, deceiver. That's his character until God gets a hold of him. You have Judah and Tamar. 
Judah had sons who married daughters, or who, married, who, married, who had wives, other women who were, who were their wives, his daughter-in-laws. Well, Tamar marries one of Judah's sons who died. According to Jewish custom, in order to redeem the family, in order to care for that family, one of the brothers should have stepped in to marry Tamar. They said, nope, we're not going to do it. One dies. Here comes another one. Should have stepped up to do it. Nope, didn't do it. So you have these sons, and Judah should have been the father who says, son, you marry your brother's widow. You do what is right and honorable. Judah didn't do it. And he allows this to go on. So Tamar takes matters into her own hands. She dresses up as a prostitute on the side of the road, and when Judah comes by, she basically gets him to have sex. Judah ends up fathering his daughter-in-law's sons. Son, you imagine this? Think about this for a minute. And when she, when he finds out, he goes, oh my goodness. This is this stuff that blows your mind. He says, you did the honorable thing. <laughs> I mean, it was that ugly that she was the honorable one. And he recognizes his sin in all of this. And here, you have this whole statement. Judah, not Judah, and then there's, he had some kids. You could have easily said Judah had some kids. No. Matthew says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. You have Rahab, the prostitute, who welcomed the spies in as they scouted out Jericho. Rahab, the non-Jew, becomes the father of Boaz. Boaz becomes the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. We'll get to Ruth in a moment. But think about this. You have in this line Mary. Pure, righteous. You have found favor in the eyes of God, Mary. In the same line as Rahab and Tamar. We want to be vicious with our sin. And this is no excuse not to deal with your sin. But don't let your unworthiness sideline you from being a part of the mission of God to bless the nations. And lastly, it's continued through the church through both Jews and Gentiles. In the midst of this lineage, you have Ruth, which I said. Ruth was a Moabite who was a non-Jew who had attacked the Israelites on the way out of, the, out of Egypt in the Exodus, outcast, hated by Jews. Hate, they, Moabites, Moabites hated God. They were enemies of God. They were enemies of Israel. And here is this Moabite woman 
who in Jesus' day would not even been allowed to be in the temple to worship, an outcast, a Gentile. And yet, Ruth is brought in and redeemed by Boaz, who played the role of kinsman redeemer of Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi's family. If you track that one, read the book of Ruth, it'll make more sense. And this outcast, Gentile, enemy of God, Moabite woman becomes the great-grandfather of King David. Jews and Gentiles, religious and non-religious, the close to God and the far from God can all play a part in God's blessing mission. See, what God is looking for is partners. He's looking for partners who are willing to say yes, who are willing to say yes to the mission of God, God's blessing mission on this earth, who are willing to bless those around them and look for opportunities to be able to share the gospel because of it. Close with a story from the book Missional Renaissance from, by Reggie McNeil. He talks about the fact that he received a series of three emails from an individual who attended, attended a conference that he had been the speaker at. And Reggie McNeil at that conference laid out a typical challenge that he gave to many people to intentionally bless people around them as a way of opening up conversations about the gospel. And so this guy who was at the conference sends an email first that he had decided to bless the baristas at Starbucks since, since he went there every single day. And he ends the email saying, I'll let you know how it goes. A little while later, Reggie McNeil gets a second email from this guy and says that the staff at the Starbucks thought it was a little bit strange when he asked them this question. How can I ask God to bless you today? Now, this question had come, not randomly, but it was a way that Reggie McNeil had said, if you're looking for a question to get spiritual conversation started, maybe you would try this one. How can I ask God to bless you today? because it reflects the heart of God and the heart of a follower of Jesus. So that's what he had been doing. And he says, even though all of these baristas were reluctant initially to talk to me, eventually the employees began to seek him out on their breaks. They began to sit with him. They began to open their lives up to him. And so he became so excited about this, just from that simple question, day in and day out, how can I ask God to bless you today in the way that people were beginning to respond to him? He became so excited by this response that he shared it with his church small group. They realized as they talked about this, that as a group, they were customers of every Starbucks within a 13 block radius in their city. These folks love coffee. So they all decided that they were going to do this. They were going to follow this guy's lead, and they were going to begin to bless the baristas in their individually local coffee shop with that question, how can I ask God to bless you today? Several weeks later, another email came to Reggie McNeil, recounting an episode that had happened to him that day. 
he had visited a Starbucks that he didn't regularly frequent. And he asked his standard question when the barista handed him his coffee. Whereupon she pulled the coffee cup back and said, wait, are you one of those blessing people? What would happen if the people of God began to be known as the blessing people? So often Christians are known for what we are against, what we fight against. What would happen if Christians, if the people of God began to be known as the blessing people? How many more people would sit at kitchen tables or at coffee shop tables and begin to open their lives up because they knew one thing. They knew, you are about blessing me. And because you are about blessing me and you're a follower of Jesus, maybe that really is what God is after. God's blessing mission certainly involves a people submitted to the lordship of Jesus. But it requires often an entryway for them to meet the one who is the fulfillment of God's blessing mission. It's interesting. Often when I close services, the blessing that Abraham gave, the Lord bless you. Our God is a blessing giver. He desired through Abraham to bless him so that all nations, us, those who don't know him yet, would be blessed. Jesus the Messiah is the fulfillment of it. And we celebrate the one who is the blessing, fulfillment, the hope of the nations, the Lord Jesus. Jesus, we honor you as the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham, as the fulfillment of the promise of David, as the one who was the hope in the exile and the one who is the hope of the nations. This Christmas especially, would you make us a blessing? Make us a blessing to our families to our neighbors, to our friends. A blessing to those who already know you and a blessing to those who do not. A blessing to those who are close to you and a blessing to those who are far off. And I thank you, Father, that all of us, even in spite of our imperfections, are able to be used by you in this blessing mission. May we deal well with the stuff that stands in the way, that can weigh us down at times, the sin that so easily entangles, but Lord Jesus, may we not allow it to sideline us for when we get everything together. May we engage today, because everybody gets to play. May we engage today as your blessing people to this world. 
Thank you that you have come first to bless us. May we be like your son. May we be like you, Father, in the power of your spirit, your blessing people. In Jesus' name, amen.